With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to this Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm John McClain, and I can be reached at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. I'm Greg Rogan. I can be reached at Greg Rogan, R-A-J-A-N on Twitter. Greg, this reminds me of a Tom Petty song. Waiting is the hardest part. Uh, my goodness, I wish the Deshaun Watson saga would be over. At least things have happened in Green Bay and happening in Cleveland, Atlanta. What do you think about everything that's going on? I'm, I am I tweeted this out earlier. My, my least favorite literary work right now is all quiet on the Watson front. This guy... It's kind of like Watson on the field, you know. It's not like he drops back and throws a ball. He runs around and takes his time. Then he finally throws to a receiver, and I guess this is the off-field equivalent of that. And this might drag out through the weekend after the Falcons and Matt Ryan push back the deadline for his roster bonus. So I don't know, John. I think everybody in Houston just wants to get this over with, make a decision, move on. But I. Uh, Watson, it's been like 414 days since he requested a trade, and we're, he's still here. So what's another couple of days? Yeah, that's the truth. I think another one of your favorites, somebody that doesn't get it done, will say, Houston, we have a problem. Oh, yeah, that's that's very original. <laughs> very original. You know, the thing about Watson, it's down to two teams, and that would be Atlanta and New Orleans. And I'd be really surprised if he doesn't go to Atlanta He's from Gainesville, Georgia. It's really close to his hometown. He's got he's close to Clemson where he won a national championship. And he has a place in Atlanta where he lives. And he's got family. He's got friends. He's got fans. He's really tied into the music scene in Atlanta. Plus Quincy Avery, his best friend and longtime quarterback coach and father figure is in Atlanta. So I can't imagine a better spot. And I saw Chris Sims, who works with Mike Florio at NBC and Pro Football Talk, say yesterday he was told that Watson's camp reached out to the Falcons. They didn't reach out to the Texans. Well, if Matt Ryan, who Texans hope he doesn't end up up in Indianapolis with the Colts, you know, he's handling this much more maturely than Baker Mayfield. But I'll be surprised if he doesn't go to the Falcons, number ones, over the next three years. They've got an extra two from Tennessee for Julio Jones. They could give a one and two twos this year, ones the next two years. And a player I would insist on is their second-year cornerback, A.J. Terrell, who was really good as a rookie in last year's first round pick. You know they're going to ask for Kyle Pitts, the second-year tight end, but I would guess he's untouchable. And the problem for Watson going to Atlanta, they don't have anything at wide receiver. Calvin Ridley suspended for the season. Russell Gage left for Tampa Bay. They don't have a running game. They would have Watson, and they would have Kyle Pitts, and that would be it. And one of the reasons that I would think Atlanta would be 
preferable would be Arthur Smith, second-year head coach. He was an offensive coordinator at Tennessee when they had great balance. And I'm sure he would like to get that balance in Atlanta. I don't know how they're going to do it, sacrificing so many picks. And if you take him over New Orleans, Dennis Allen, who has his second chance as a head coach after going 4-12, 4-12, and 3-13 with the Raiders, he's a defensive coordinator. If Sean Payton were still in New Orleans, that would kind of be a no-brainer. But uh, people in New Orleans, of course, are dying to get him. People in Atlanta are dying to get him. And we have reports from media in Carolina that uh, they were crossed off because they wouldn't guarantee the third and fourth years of his contract, which is stunning. Consider the owner, David Tepper, wanted Watson so bad and is worth billions and billions of dollars. So I think it's going to be the Falcons. So the the Panthers were would only bring in a twenty five year old franchise quarterback for two years. Yeah, can you believe it? That makes no sense. I mean, ultimately these NFL contracts are kind of like monopoly money to these owners. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't bring in Watson if I mean if you already have him under contract. But this whole saga has been strange, John. So who knows? As far as the Falcons, yeah, I mean they were kind of an eleventh hour team, you know, in these sweepstakes. At first, it was the Panthers, it was the Saints, it was the Browns. And now the Panthers and the Browns, they've been crossed off the list. So I, I don't know what, what's taking Watson so long to make a decision. I mean, if if he reached out to the Falcons and obviously if going home is pulling at his heartstrings, I mean, just just cut the cord already with the Texans. But this whole thing has been bizarre from the start. So you had an interesting mailbag today, I, I thought, that went up on HoustonChronicle.com where someone asked you, like, how did we get to the point of divorce, to the brink of divorce between the Texans and Watson? And I'm not sure there's one simple answer, and I'm not sure like both parties aren't at fault, you know, at, for this. Well, he didn't want Jack East to be having a say in personnel. Neither did JJ Watt. Everybody over there was upset. Easterby, as we know, was pushing Josh McCown to be the head coach this year. He brought McCown in last year. I had. Two players tell me at the end of that season, you watch Jack Easterby get Josh McCown, his good friend, in here as a head coach. And I didn't buy it. I said, no way. And they turned out to be right. And one thing to consider about what's holding it up, they're going to have to redo Watson's contract. His base salary is $35 million. If he gets suspended, say six games, then he loses millions of dollars. If they give him a, say, turn the base salary into a roster bonus and, say, extend him another year, lower that base salary as much as you can, then he doesn't lose as much money. They need to do that. One thing that was proposed to me, very interesting about the Saints, they believe they could sacrifice high picks because they think Sean Payton's coming back and he's going to want to go somewhere like Dallas and they're going to get big compensation to help offset what they would lose in acquiring Watson. They have people in their organization who are recruiting him too, like wide receiver Michael Thomas, who missed last season. He's another client of David Mulligetta. But you can imagine Watson. It's one thing about money and trade terms, but it's something else when you have all these players, uh, rappers, other musicians, fans, friends that you know, all calling you, recruiting you. I'll guarantee you 
When he came out of Gainesville High School, he didn't get recruited that hard to go to Clemson. It's like he's a high school senior all over again. And there have been erroneous reports that teams had to submit offers that Nick Casario approved before allowing them to talk to Watson. No, that's not the case. They all submitted offers, parameters for offers. He didn't take any of them. So if Watson tells him today, I'm going to Atlanta, then he's got to call Fontenot, their general manager, and talk to him and say, okay, he wants to come there. Okay, here's what you offered. Here's what we want. And if they lowballed him, then they would have to play a game of chicken. They would have to say, okay, Deshaun, if we have to pay you $35 million to sit out another season, we'll do it unless they give us a better offer or unless you go to New Orleans. And uh, it could be the other way around. But the offers have to be fair, and they start with three number one picks. Carolina would have been the best. They could have offered two of their best young defensive players in Brian Burns, nine sacks the last two years, safety Jeremy Chan. That would have taken care of the Texans' two biggest needs before they ever picked. So it's it's going to end some point, Greg, and when it does, there's going to be a lot of people relieved. John, the no-trade clause is fairly rare in the NFL for players. Why did the Texans attach a no-trade clause to Watson's contract? Russell Wilson had one. Matt Ryan has one. Uh, when It was a very smart thing for Agent David Mulligetta to do. And Jack Easterby negotiated the contract. I cannot fault Easterby for giving him a no-trade clause because who would have thunk it? At that time, Watson was happy. He cried on the Zoom call the first week of September of 2020. Then he went out and had a great year. I'm sure Mulligan at the last minute said, oh, by the way, we'll complete the deal if you throw in an open trade clause. He said, well, sure. We're not ever trading him, not having any clue that it was going to be done. But I will guarantee you this, Greg, the McNair family will never, ever allow another no trade clause again. John, NFL free agency started Wednesday officially, and you see a lot of teams, you know, racking up big money deals, kind of like going to Nordstrom. Texans have more of a dollar general approach with some of these one and two year contracts of the players they signed. Um, what what move would you would you call the most promising or intriguing? Well, first of all, I knew Nick Casario was going to do that because he knows they're not competing. They're taking the opposite approach of the Jaguars who are spending a fortune to try to get out of last place. They're trying to win March, and they are. But uh, Casario, I think, next year, if they're close to competing for the playoffs again, then he would be more inclined to spend money. None of them has moved my needle except one, A.J. Can, a right guard who started six years for the Jaguars and last year uh, had a medial collateral ligament go out, so he only played four games. He played for new line coach George Warhop for three years. So I think you can pencil him at right guard with Tunsil and Howard at tackle because they'd still need a center and a left guard. And they, you know, you don't, to me, I want new guys. I want guys that are physical, nasty, can run block. I think based on what's happened, uh, they signed a safety, but they're so desperate at safety right now, Greg. Unless something changes, I don't know how they cannot take. Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, who is 
one of their top prospects. A lot of people have him number one on the board. I thought it would be a defensive end, but at least they have five or six guys under contract in the line, and they don't have one legitimate starter at safety, so that is a huge problem. But I think Casario will roll a lot of cap room over to 2023 like he did a little bit this year. One of the things he's done is solve their cap problem. I think he's been very astute about the way he goes about it. But uh, they're going to have to get more help in the draft than free agency. They asked me on Texans radio this week what I thought about Kyle Allen, and I didn't even comment. That shows you what I think about Kyle Allen. I was happy for Tyrod Taylor to get the deal he got from the Giants, but I still remember Kyle Allen from U of H. And if he's a guy that's going to have to start some games, if Davis Mills gets hurt, that kind of helps you have another high number one pick. Kyle Allen has won a game at NRG Stadium before with the Panthers. Uh, 2019, Cam Newton was out, and uh, Kyle Allen stepped in and beat the Texans. That was a game where Bill O'Brien, for some reason, called a wide receiver pass by DeAndre Hopkins across the field that was picked off in the red zone. One of the dumbest decisions I've ever seen by Bill O'Brien, and that's a long list. But um, it was, It was also... The worst game of Watson's career, and about three hours after the game, we're working in a press box, and we'll look down the field and see a guy running routes and somebody else throwing, and they're going up and down the field, and we realize it was Watson with his quarterback guru and buddy Quincy Avery. Watson had cleaned up. They'd gone to dinner. Watson was really upset about the way he played. He wanted to work on it. Instead of waiting till the next day, they came back out and did it, which tells you a lot about Watson. Then he rebounded, of course, and they won. They went 10-6 and six and won the division. But that was definitely a low point for him and the Texans. John, what do we make of uh, the Laramie Tunsil news this week that he will be coming back? Was that a case where you think there just wasn't a trade market for him, or is he a legitimate uh, foundational piece for the Texans moving forward? I wasn't surprised about Tunsil. Uh, George Warhop, the new line coach, who's been in the league a long time, I'm sure he didn't want four new starters in the offensive line and Titus Howard. So now he's got his tackles. Hopefully Warhop will realize he's a right tackle, not a guard. And he's got A.J. Ken to play right guard. So to me, he still needs a new center and a new left guard, even though they got veterans. They could have traded Tunsil. He, he's still – a really good pass protector, one of the top left tackles, not real good at run blocking, which is what they really need. But now, knowing that he and Howard be the tackles, it's easier to fill in on the inside. And I thought they might trade him to Cincinnati. But I, if you told George Warhop, would you rather have a low number one pick or would you rather have Laramie Tunsil healthy? He'd say Tunsil. What they did, they freed up money under the cap uh, with him. and. Uh, and committed to him. And I think the coaches are happy about that. John, obviously the, the biggest headlines this offseason have been generated by AFC West teams. Denver got Russell Wilson. Kansas City got Justin Reed. The Chargers, they got Khalil Mack. And yesterday, the Raiders got Devontae Adams for first and second round picks. What do we make of that deal with Adams going from Green Bay to Las Vegas? It was biggest contract in history for a wide receiver. It was a kind of a quarterback kind of contract. And the Packers said they offered him that deal and more. So did his agents. 
but he wanted to go back and play with his best friend from college, Derek Carr, and let's be honest here. Do you want to spend the winters in Green Bay or Las Vegas? So he took that great deal, and uh, he spurned the Packers. Now, I've seen all this whining and crying on the TV shows about what that's going to do to the poor old Packers. Well, I saw a thing on the Internet that they are 7-0 and without Devontae Adams, and they average 31 points a game. Great receivers are made by great quarterbacks. I saw one former NFL player on TV say, Derek Carr will be the best quarterback in AFC West because of Devontae Adams. And I'm thinking, uh, no, he'll still be the fourth best quarterback in AFC West, but he may throw for more yards. So good for the Raiders to get him and Chandler Jones. They also, uh, let's see, who else did they get? Did they get cornerback Rocky seen from Indianapolis? I was thinking they made a trade with Indy for him. So those AFC West teams are beefing up. And I tweeted, Greg, the only good thing about that is it assures the Texans of another high draft choice because they have to play all four teams. Yes, not the best year to play the AFC West, but at least two of those teams will be coming to NRG Stadium, so Texans fans can look forward to that. Last question for you, John, on the NFL. Where does Baker Mayfield play next year? I believe this. When you're playing at uh, in Cleveland and the stadium is on Lake Erie and it's always windy, that's in September and October and November before uh, it gets really bad in December and January. Now, if you can go to Cleveland and win, but you're not going to throw for four or 5,000 yards, and you have to understand that. I bet Mayfield would be a better quarterback depending on where he plays, but he was a pain in the butt. People in the media didn't like him. A lot of fans didn't like him. A lot of people in the front office didn't like him. So far, Greg, I haven't seen any of his teammates defending him on social media or wishing him good luck. Now, maybe that could change. And the Browns are telling people privately in the media they're not going to trade him, but I think they will. And if I'm Indianapolis, my first choice is Matt Ryan. My second choice would be Mayfield. Seattle has to be involved because they can't be going into next season with Drew Locke as their starter. They still got good receivers. They have a really good young tight end. And Noah Fant, if I'm a quarterback, I want to go to Seattle, throw to DK Metcalf, uh, Tyler Lockett, and Noah Fant. That is a prolific passing game. And uh, there's other teams that still need quarterbacks. So Mayfield will get a job. Thing is, what do the Browns get? He's in the last year of his contract. He wants 35 to $40 million a year. He's not worth it. Hasn't done anything to, to merit it. He, coming off shoulder surgery. So he might have to take like a play out this season and hope he stays healthy and excels with his new team because he's not getting a new contract this year because he's not worth it. John, the last time we did a podcast, there was no Major League Baseball. As we record this on Friday morning, Justin Verlander will be starting for the Astros in their exhibition opener against the Cardinals. How happy are you that baseball is finally back? I'm excited about it. And based on what our Astros beat writer Chandler Rome wrote, that if everything goes according to plan, based on the days that Verlander will work, he'll be starting the opener. I think he'll be starting the opener anyway, based on who he is and what he's done. Hopefully he doesn't experience too much soreness. You know they're going to put him 
on a pitch count as they should when you're coming off Tommy John surgery. Lance McCullers, tell you, he's got an injury. He's not going to be ready for the season. They asked him if he could have surgery. He said not now. That is very scary. They still have depth on the staff. And the only thing that'd be better than Justin Verlander coming back and pitching well would be Carlos Correa saying, you know what? I'm not going to get my $325 million this year, so I'm going to come back and play another year or two with Astros, and then I'll see what the market bears then. Think of how happy that would be for fans everywhere. And, Greg, I'll leave you with this. What would be better, more exciting for Houston fans? Correa comes back, or they get a draft haul and two defensive starters for Watson, or Jack Easterby gets fired. Uh, I'll go with C. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with C, too. I'm John McLean. You can reach me at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. I'm Greg Rogan. You can reach me at Greg Rogan, R-A-J-A-N. Greg, thank you very much. Thanks for everybody listening and reading and viewing. <laughs>